You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Okay, I'm calling this morning Jacob's Restoration or Jacob Becomes Israel. And um, as those of you uh, who've been watching may know, I've been highlighting the life of Jacob in the last number of weeks. And he's an example of one who, though obviously flawed, met God in life-changing ways. And one of the things I think many of us, maybe most of us, need is encouragement. And the Bible has been written for our encouragement um, and our exhortation and our correction. But the Bible is written so that we can gain encouragement from the lives of these um, characters, these larger-than-life personalities, as it were. Um, and the, the, the reality in Jacob's life is that our, our encouragement comes from his life primarily because God continued to make it his business to reach out, to extend himself, to interject himself, into his life time after time. God was after Jacob, but it was a redemptive thing. And I I call Jacob's story this. It's the story of the prototypical, quote, every man, unquote, or the ordinary man, or the common man, or the typical human being. And in this regard, I'm not talking male or female, but I'm rather talking about how we find the the everyone depicted in Jacob's life. Think about this. He was fraught with personal problems. He had very obvious inadequacies, deceitful behavior, relational issues, deeply flawed children. Gosh, just read there in the book of Genesis. Acquainted with disaster, heartache, and sorrow, subject at times to depression, maybe even despair, and longing for better times. And so that's who you find when you look at the life of Jacob. But here's the truth. The grace that Jacob experienced, everyone can experience. Once again, that's the reason the Bible records his life in such vivid and specific detail. It's for our encouragement. When you see a person like Jacob, um, and then you see in Episode after episode, and this is the fourth one we're looking at, God extends himself to rescue, redeem, and transform this man from Jacob to Israel. These things are written for our admonition, the Bible says, upon whom the ends of the world have come. But here's the idea. God is the God of not just Abraham, not just the God of Isaac, He's also the God of Jacob. And it's amazing that he doesn't announce himself, and this is the term Jesus actually used in the Gospels about God being the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, not Israel. And we're going to see that Israel is like the faith Jacob. Jacob is like a man stuck in his own difficulties and not really making much progress. But God is the God of Jacob. We should never forget that. God's the God of the every man. Well, in part one, 
The main part was that although Jacob felt all these things are against me, just the opposite was true. If you want to go back and listen to that, if you haven't heard it, I think it will be really worth your while. In truth, God was working all those things for his benefit. They weren't working against him. They were literally working for him. Um, we need to believe that today. It's true for us today. We can't look at society and the norms and the problems and the situations and the challenges and determine all these things are working against us when the God of the Bible says he has a completely different viewpoint. He is working all these things for our benefit. Um, Romans 8.31, let me, let me fortress this with a little bit of Bible here. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I think one of the, one of the things God's doing during this time period is he's calling us to the reality of our real Christianity, our real faith. Um, sure, people have struggled. Sure, things are difficult. But God has really not just called us to be um, comforted, not just called us to even be blessed, but he's even called us to be overcomers. He's called us to, to realize we can really be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Um, and so we can never forget that high calling aspect. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Then the classic one in Romans eight twenty eight, and I want you to pay particular attention to this one word, convinced, because whether or not you're convinced of something determines how much of it you uh, um, actually experience. Paul says, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together by God to fit into his perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. So that's a great hope verse. I quote it this way, for God works together all things for good for those who love him, the called according to his purpose. God's at work. All these things are not against us, even though they may be arrayed against us. God is working something out on our behalf, and I really believe on behalf of our nation, even with all the turmoil our nation's in. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul doesn't use that word convinced. He uses a different word. He uses the word persuaded. And to become persuaded means you have gone through a process of being persuaded by someone or something. He says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created things shall be able to separate us, separate who? Us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we need to be, come to that place where we're both convinced and persuaded. We don't need to stand in the gap and wonder sometimes. Although the truth of the fact is Jacob did, and that's what's so encouraging. Jacob had successes and then he had failures, but he kept going forward. Okay, my second message on um, Jacob, we see that God initiated a wrestling match with Jacob until Jacob broke through 
into a new place of hope and victory and fulfillment. And that's the reality. We hear the story, if you're familiar with Bible stories, Jacob wrestled with the Lord or wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Well, that's not actually true. The Lord wrestled with Jacob. God initiated it. God wore him down. Listen to this. God wore Jacob down to the blessing place. God wore Jacob down to the blessing place of humility and faith. You can find that, I believe, in Hosea chapter 7. The prophet Hosea actually interprets this wrestling match. And what he does is he says that Jacob found favor with tears. So it was a difficult time. It wasn't easy breezy Christianity. Jacob was worn down, let me say that, down to the blessing place of humility and faith. It really bothers me when Christians criticize each other because that's the opposite of humility. And God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And I think we need, we need to, we, we need to challenge ourselves in this particular climate. Are we criticizers? Are we encouragers? Are we trying to find the good in people or the bad in people? Because if you are not operating at a certain level of humility, you will find God's resistance in your life, not the fullness of his help. Please, please, my goodness, the Lord has been dealing with me about forgiveness. You know, he says, if we don't forgive, we will actually be tormented. And I have recognized there have been times in my life where I couldn't shake these things. I had these things going in my mind. And at the end of the day, I realized there's more forgiving I need to do because I am being subject to some demonic things that I'm not being able to shut down. And I believe that's one of the keys. We have got to be a people that forgive and release because we I want all the help God's willing to give me. How about you? Come on. So God initiated that wrestling match, and it was another opportunity to bring Jacob to transformation, to his character um, being improved, to the blessing in his life. And that's that place during that wrestling where God gave him that new name, Israel, Prince with God and a new vision of who he could become. And I think the vision God gives us for our lives are our truest self. Uh, uh, some of the ways we've lived under the, um, under the dignity of being a child of God, under the sort of regal position we should have as children of the king of kings, um, it's because we have not really seen who we are. We have settled for our experiences in life, the way people have looked at us in life, and the way we have... Uh, just lived at l- the lowest level instead of seeing there's much more about who we are in God than we've recognized. So that that's some conclusions from part two. Then part three, and oh man, I really love this because this speaks so much to me. Part three, I called God is in this place and I knew it not. Well, Jacob's life parallels our lives in several ways, especially right now. As God changed Jacob's life and there were multiple situations. Let me ask this question. How many of you have gone through multiple situations of transformation? You've gone through several times where you've 
uh, I know this is what happens in my life. I will go through these awesome times. My behavior will be at a very high level. And then I hit the wall. And it seems like everything falls apart. And I don't know. Everything dries up. And it takes me a while to understand, oh, I've been here before. God's after something I haven't completely given him yet. And I call it, I'll do business with the Lord, meaning I'll begin to understand what is he after now in my life. And then I'll have another breakthrough. But it's like the refining of wine. I don't know, uh, it's, it says about Moab's is settled on his lees because he refused to be poured from vessel to vessel. And there's this idea of how wine is purified is the sediment has settled to the bottom, so they pour the purest part of it off, and when they do, that sediment is stirred up again, and then they wait for it to settle. Then they pour it off. Well, each of those pourings stirs up that sediment. Those things in us we thought we were better than, but lo and behold, guess what? I have a ways to go, so I hope that will encourage you. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. So, in part three, God is in this place, and I knew it not. God found Jacob, I'm sorry, Jacob again in an isolated and fearful state. In fact, loneliness and anxiety may have been the factors that motivated Jacob to find the Lord afresh. I think that can happen. God can use that. In this message, we discovered that in an earlier part of Jacob's life, he had a God encounter in a place called Bethel as he fled in fear from his brother Esau after stealing the blessing and the birthright. Jacob's conclusion after his encounter with the Lord at Bethel was this. God is in this place, and I knew it not. I tell myself that every day. When I'm going to bed at night and I want to draw near to the Lord, you know what I say? I say, God is in this place, though I knew it not. And if you study that aspect of Jacob's life, all of this happened at a place where the sun set. And there's so much to, to, um, there's so much to what went on in this particular story. Ladies and gentlemen, the sun sets everywhere. Everywhere the sun sets, if you awaken to the reality, God is in this place whether you knew it or not. And I like that idea that God could be somewhere and I not recognize him. But God is everywhere and it's my job to recognize him. God is in this place. Now we're going to look at part four. Jacob becomes Israel. Give you a little background here. Jacob sent his sons a second time to Egypt to purchase food. The first time they returned with food, but without their brother Simeon. How many of you remember that part of the story? The brothers explained to their father Jacob that the overseer of the storehouse, who was Joseph, although his brothers didn't know it, accused them of being spies and told them the only way they could come back for more food is if they brought their brother Benjamin back to prove that they were who they say they were. Of course, in Joseph's mind, he longed to see his brother because Joseph and Benjamin were the only two sons of Rachel, which happened to be Jacob's favorite wife. And saying the word favorite wife is weird, but nevertheless, moving right along. 
but they were natural brothers. Twelve sons in the family by a number of different... Anyway, moving around, I just can't get into all that. But it's terribly interesting, isn't it? (laughs) And we think God can't move among us, right? Come on. So, they come back with food without Simeon, and now they say, Dad, we've got to take Benjamin back if we're going to get any food, and, and we've got to get Simeon back. So here's what, Joseph, here's what Jacob says. You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Jacob still believed Joseph was dead. Simeon is no more. He was now in Egypt. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things, he said, are against me. And so today's message covers the moment that Jacob's sons after having gone back to Egypt the second time, returned to tell Jacob that Joseph is still alive. Not only that he is still alive, that he is second in command of the Egyptian empire. And so they come back. They return to Canaan with um, 10 camels, actually 20 camels, and mules and don- loaded down with all the abundance of Egypt and with wagons whose purpose was to transport um, Jacob and his family back to Egypt because Pharaoh had said they can live in the finest place in all the land. Oh, man, there's so many parallels here to believers today and the gospel. The one they thought was dead was not only alive, he was Lord of all. He was in control of everything. He had access to everything, and his heart was towards those very people that sold him into slavery. My goodness, do you think Joseph had to figure out what it was to forgive somebody? That's next week's story. Okay, so I want us to look at Genesis 45, 23 through 28. And it tells us about what happened when Jacob finds out Joseph is alive. And Joseph sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. (laughs) I think that's pretty funny. Don't do something stupid, guys. Come on. Let's get this thing worked out. Verse 25. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, oh, this is so good. Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still. Why? Because he did not believe them. My goodness, too good to be true. How could this possibly be true? At this point, Jacob had thought that Joseph had been dead for 22 years. 22 years. And what a dysfunctional family. Every one of his children knew what happened. But they lied. They lived in a line for over two decades. How happy could that place have been? What kind of people are these people? Human. Human. They told him, Dad, 
Joseph is still alive. He's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. So let me just ask a simple question. Whose heart stood still? Jacob's. Jacob's. Verse 27. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of who? Jacob, their father, revived. But watch verse 28. Then Israel said, It's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, here's the picture. Jacob, in a moment in time, because of what he believed, went from being Jacob to Israel. That can happen in a moment in time. The strength and the power of real belief, the convinced, the the persuaded place you can be in your heart when it comes to the gospel and the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Joseph foreshadows Jesus. We really need to see this. The Old Testament contains various types of Christ. These are people who reflected what the Messiah would be like. I got this little blurb off the Internet because I felt like it said it so clearly. He goes on to say, but I think the one person who foreshadowed Jesus the most was Joseph, the son of Jacob. Joseph is clearly seen as a type of Jesus throughout his life. Now, some Bible scholars and students have found 80, 8 um, parallels between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. And so this morning when we're reading about this ancient tale about the family of Jacob and how he became Israel, the reality of this is the things, the realities that Joseph represented to him, Jesus represents to us. We need to see this. The parallels are amazing. Both were firstborn, Joseph and Jesus. Both were shepherds. Both are the most loved of their fathers. Both Joseph and Jesus' brothers were jealous and didn't believe him. Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers. Jesus sent by his father to Israel. Both were stripped of their coat. Both coats were dipped in blood. Joseph was sold as a slave to Egypt. Jesus was betrayed for the price of a slave. Both of them went to Egypt. Both were falsely accused. Both spent time with two condemned men, one of which would be pardoned and given life. Isn't that remarkable? Think about that. The king of Egypt appointed Joseph to be the sole source of life for everyone there. God appointed Jesus to be our sole source of eternal life. Joseph was 30 years old when he started working for Pharaoh. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him. The Bible says Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. They didn't recognize him. Both offer forgiveness to those who sought to destroy him. Both of them are saviors. So, do you see the parallels? The great reversal. Jacob to Joseph. Here's some... 
something we need to recognize in verse 26 in the uh, passage we read. Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. Could something be so wonderfully true, so much truer beyond your imagination that it would make you faint? Could there be something that would make your heart stop? Because it suddenly contradicts deeply held ideas and beliefs. And suddenly you've been proven to you beyond the shadow of a doubt. No, this is the truth, not what you think. I think a lot of people have lost heart today. And I think unbelief can deaden your heart. It can affect your emotions. It can destroy your hope. In Jacob's situation, though, it was as though his heart stood still because what he was hearing from his sons about Joseph being alive was too good to be true. You know, there are two kinds of unbelief. There's unbelief when people choose not to believe something. Then there's the kind of unbelief where you find out God is so real. I have been in meetings where God has done things so real that it threw people into unbelief and they accused others of doing shenanigans. That doesn't make any sense. But there is a place where God can be so real, it almost causes us to doubt him. Suddenly he knows your name. Suddenly he knows your address. He's given it to some total stranger. Well, it couldn't have been a total stranger. He got that on the internet. No. What if God could do that? I have seen God be that real. I've seen God heal people that seemingly could not be healed. I've seen that. I have seen this. I have prayed for a man's rash that he'd had for weeks and he and I watched together the rash disappear and the skin on his ankle go to absolutely brand new skin. And I thought, and I was part of it. How could that happen? But I saw it with my own eyes. Moving right along. Verse 27. But when his sons told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. That word revive and that term revival, we've heard it off and on down through the decades in my entire life. There have been periods of revival. I'm going to say this. There's going to be another awakening. There is going to be another awakening. There's going to be a great awakening. There's going to be a shaking. Ah, we're in the middle of it. But the kind of reviving God is after is the transformation of character. Where Jacob becomes Israel. But that's the first place in the entire Bible that word revive shows up. Jacob began to believe the words of Joseph. Who was Joseph a typo this morning? Jesus. Why don't we put it this way? We began to believe the words of Jesus, and our hearts were revived. The one that we thought practically was dead. What do you mean? Well, a lot of believers live like Jesus is not alive. They live like he hasn't been raised from the dead. Effectively, they're not living any differently than the people around them. They're reflecting more of the culture than they are the reality they could have living in them. And I'm challenging myself, but I want to challenge all of us. Are we going to reflect the reality of the kingdom of God and the person of Jesus? Or are we just simply going to reflect the culture that we live in? Yeah. 
Then Israel said, is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. It is enough. That one phrase, that one phrase, it is enough, was a one-word exclamation, which was, he said, abundance. Actually, what Jacob was saying when he said, it is enough, think about it. Everything he heard, so hard for him to believe. Everything he saw. Now, I don't think uh, the, the, the leader of the known world, Pharaoh, sent Jacob little red wagons or Conestoga wagons or beat up wagons. I bet he sent him the finest vehicles Egypt had to offer. When he saw the wagons, when he saw the provision, when he heard the words of Joseph, the only way he could describe it was he would he could he was by saying, "This is more than I could have ever imagined." It's abundance. I want to say this: if our gospel isn't hasn't been too good to be true to us, we haven't fully seen it in its fullness. We haven't had the full implications of what it means to be completely forgiven to be redeemed, to be restored, to have a new mind, to have access to the kingdom of heaven, to have confidence, to to be a redemptive community, to care about people um, of all descriptions. You know what I think some of us need to do? And this is offensive, but I'm going to try to not make it offensive. It may not be offensive. I'm trying not. We need to snap out of it. <laughs> we, we should snap. <laughs> snap out of it. Come on. I can remember one of my kids when they were little and they weren't listening to me. I would have to hold them by the face. I don't mean harmfully, I would have to hold their face. And I can remember looking into one of my son's eyes and he was looking at my face, but his eyes were still (laughs) looking up there. And I said, no, look in my face. Look at me. You're good. You're okay. It's all right. (laughs) Oh man. I know that, uh, I know the apostles had a snap out of it mo- uh, moment. How many of you believe they had a few, a few uh, snap out of it moments with Jesus? You think Jesus would say that? Sure, he would. John six six, t- six John six sixteen through twenty one. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, went over the sea towards Cap- Capernaum, and it was dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the post, and they were afraid. But Jesus said to them, snap out of it. He said, it's me. Don't be afraid. Lord, give us that spirit of being able to snap out of it. Man, to just sort of even just shake ourselves, see things accurately. But the Bible says this after he said, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. There was a supernatural movement from where they were to where they needed to be the minute they recognized Jesus in their storm. That ought to mean something. That ought to mean something. Here's what we have. We have a choice this morning to believe again. Are you willing to believe something more than you have believed? Are you willing to take a journey you may have given up on? Israel was Jacob's faith name. Who he was when he lived in faith with God, that was his true identity. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 